If taxes are going to go up, we want to start converting as soon as possible because your tax bracket's only going to get higher. And if we have too much money in that pre-tax bucket, every dollar we pull out of that's going to be taxable in the future. And if taxes are higher later than they are today, you're going to be paying a lot more in taxes down the road. It's time to retire with confidence. Welcome to Unlocking Your Financial Future with financial advisor Ben Schrock. Glad to have you back on Unlocking Your Financial Future. I am Ben George, joined by Ben Schrock. He is the owner and financial advisor at B.A. Schrock Financial Group. You can find him online, bashrock-fg.com. You've probably heard from him before on our previous podcast. You probably know about his lock process, but today we're going to have him break down some financial terms, some key buzzwords that you might not be aware of. Maybe a little classroom project today, Ben. Looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. This is one that we were talking about, and I said, I don't think we've ever done something like this. So um, you can feel free to get get your Google ready. Or <laughs> again, these are these are terms that if you've you've paid attention to the markets, and you know, with 2020 being such a crazy year, I'm sure you turned into maybe CNBC or, or Fox Business News and, and looked at some of the futures or some of the, the market trends. And you might hear some of the analysts talking about some of these topics. So yeah, hopefully they, they uh, may ring a bell and we'll shine some light onto what they mean. And again, we try. I'll try to keep a, a good overview, Ben. I, I won't go into the, the, the fine details on some of these because you, you can get pretty deep into the weeds on these if you want to. Yeah, I can imagine. I'm, I'm looking forward to this too because you know, I put this list down, but I, there's some things that I just don't know about. So I've kind of maybe heard a couple of these, but I, I'm looking forward to you kind of explaining them thoroughly for me. And I hopefully yeah. that'll help uh, the other listeners as well. We'll also get to the mailbag before the show's over with and, and uh, answer a couple of questions that have come into the podcast. And a reminder that you can always send them into us via the website at bashrock-fg.com is where you'll find us. And again, if you want to talk further to Ben and his team at BA Shrock Financial Group, you can call them directly at 330 330- Four seven three one zero six zero. So let's get to these buzzwords, Ben. I got four of them here to get to. We'll start off with the inverted yield curve. What is this? <laughs> yeah. So this one I could get a little long winded. So um, stop me if if you want any uh, want me to elaborate any deeper on certain topics here. But um, the yield curve, you know, in general, it just kind of if you look at um, x axis, y axis. So if you want to look at a normal yield curve. The x-axis, I believe, is the one that runs horizontal. is going to measure maturity. So you're looking at bonds and, and treasuries in that situation. So looking at maturity, short-term being on the, the far left and longer-term being on the right, we're looking anywhere from you know three months to 30 years across that. And then the y-axis, the vertical axis, is, is looking at the yield. So typically, a normal curve, Ben, will start there. Um, a normal curve will say the shorter the duration, the shorter the maturity on that, the less the yield is, so the lower the yield. The further we go out in our, our maturity, the, the higher our yield is. So you'll see a general um, sloping curve from left to right uh, trending upwards. Now, an inverted yield curve is something that rarely happens. And in fact, and why it's kind of a buzzword and why people probably have heard it is it has accurately predicted all recessions. I'm not sure the exact year. I want to say post-modern war um, eras. uh, It's predicted every recession. It did in the early 2000s. And it did it again in 08. And uh, I, some people are, may say it did it again uh, for this most recent one. I, I blame COVID, but um, it did actually in, invert last year around August. And, and typically the trend is when the yield curve inverts, it's usually 18 to 24 month period before we see a, a fallout in the market. Um, this one was a lot quicker. That's why I, I can't necessarily blame the yield curve inversion theory on this, but it did hold true. I mean, the, the yield curve inverted in like August of last year. But 
Anyways, what happens with when the yield curve inverts is the Federal Reserve is kind of controlling the, the short end of the yield curve. So when you see interest rates, uh, Federal Reserve is raising interest rates, raising interest rates, they're kind of propping it up on the front end of the curve. So the shorter term interest rates start to increase. And then inflation is really controlling the, the longer end. So the longer term maturity um, on, the, on the far right side of, the, of our curve. So when we have a low inflation and, and then the Fed start raising rates on the short term, we will see a yield curve invert. Okay, so basically what that means is the shorter term investments, so your three-month or typically what they're measuring is your two-year and 10-year. So your two-year treasury is paying more than your 10-year treasury. So why in the heck would anyone buy a long-term debt instrument that's paying less than a short-term debt instrument? So that's kind of the phenomenon that happens. And then basically there that has accurately predicted all market um, crashes or corrections falling into a, a recession for a long time. So that's why it's kind of a, a popular thing. But that's what happens when a yield curve inverts is um, the short-term uh, bonds end up paying more than the, the long-term. Good explanation. That's a good start. Okay, let's get into another <laughs> yeah. one here. Um, earnings guidance. I guess this, again, has to do with uh, stocks and uh, companies like that. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that's where um, we'll see, you know, Keith will look at these all the time. So, you know, basically companies will, will provide guidance um, with their earnings and, and forecasting essentially. So that's what they're looking for to say, okay, what are we predicting in the future? What are we looking at forward looking um, in terms of our sales or earnings expectations? So this has been uh, going on for years. So companies will announce, uh, you know, their you know, forecasting or their earnings guidance is they're going to expect to do this much growth in, in quarter two. And then all of a sudden we'll see when it comes out with their actual earnings report whether they you know crushed earnings or they were right at earnings or down below earnings so a lot of times we'll see when companies report earnings uh, their stock price will uh, reflect that depending on how they did so it's something that that has always been a, a way a tool a gauge for analysts out there to say you know is this company looking good are they going to be a good buy and really most recently we started seeing companies just kind of forego guidance um, and not not really going to announce earnings because of COVID. They're saying, well, I, we can't put a number out there because there's no way in heck we can predict this because we don't know what the economy is going to do. We don't know what our business is going to be like because we don't know what COVID is. So um, a lot of companies have kind of you know stopped doing that. And again, there, I think there's good and bad with it, um, but it's something where uh, it, it gives us a, a good gauge that, that we can look at a company and, and see you know, are they optimistic in the future? Or are they pessimistic? And again, that's where the, the negative side comes in is saying, is this manipulated by management? Or are they trying to, you know, lowball on earnings and, and say that they're going to underperform and then they, they beat them just to make their stock price go up. So there's kind of pros and cons to that, but it's something that really um, analysts are looking at as to um, when a company might be a good buy to get in. Okay. That's good to know. Something to keep an eye on there as well. Okay. This one, I'll, I'll admit that I don't think I've ever heard of. Um, and I do kind of follow these things pretty closely and listen to a lot of the analysts you mentioned as we started the show. So I'm going to complete loss here, but what is core CPI? Yeah. So the, well, we'll kind of, I always got to like step back and explain, I guess this is my, my teacher hat that my <laughs> parents both wore and my siblings wear that I, I naturally have a fit into, but you know, your CPI is your, your me measurement of inflation. So the consumer price index is, it measures all the cost of living for the typical person. Okay. So we, we're all familiar with that, but the core CPI is going to remove, it's going to be your basic CPI consumer price index, but they're going to remove energy and food prices. So they're removing those because they're too volatile or um, there's too much fluctuation within food and energy prices that will throw off the CPI. So the Federal Reserve is the one that really likes to look at the core CPI um, as kind of their gauge moving forward. 
when they give their outlooks in terms of what they're doing with interest rates. So uh, it, it's something really interesting. And, and when you dive into this, you can go down a, a deep rabbit hole as to you know why why they remove them. But I, I'll, I'll kind of go back to um, you know the whole COVID example. This is something so relevant. So a good reason why you remove it from there is because well, when COVID happened, energy prices you know went, you know at the gas pump pretty much just stopped altogether. People weren't going out and doing anything. They weren't going out and going to the, the uh, restaurants and buying food like that. So they're going in. Uh, so the price just in that little short sample size fluctuates so drastically. Um, so that's why it's a good way for them, especially why the Federal Reserve does it, to remove that from the equation because it, it is such a volatile measurement there that could sway the, the CPI altogether. Does okay. that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. Thanks for putting on the teacher hat for us. That's, yeah, thanks. That's very helpful. Okay. Uh, last one here on our financial dictionary for this episode. Let's talk about stop loss. Yeah. So this is something that um, we don't do a ton of. You know, Keith doesn't uh, put a lot of stop loss orders. And it's typically like your old broker days where you can um, go in there and make a transaction like this. So you basically can um, put an order in, a stop loss order, um, whether you do it on your own through your own management site or with a broker. And basically give them that the instructions to either buy or sell uh, a specific stock at a sp- specific price. So you can put your stop loss order in for a six month period or till expires, whatever, till you change it. But basically, you may say, if Apple's trading at one hundred twenty dollars a share, I want to buy that thing at one hundred, or I want to sell it when it goes to a uh, hundred dollars a share because I don't want I want to minimize my downside or minimize my losses. You put a stop loss order in. And then when it hits that strike price of 100, it'll sell that stock automatically or you know, it may buy that stock automatically depending on the order that you're putting in. So people will use that, Ben, for a, a downside uh, risk prevention or measurement to say, okay, if I want no more than 10% losses in my portfolio, I don't care anything else. I'm not caring about time in the market. I just don't want anything less than 10. You could put that order in to say liquidate at you know 10% on a downside and it would automatically do that for you. Okay. So it can protect you. Uh, yeah. from from big losses down along the way. Okay. Good to know. Well, this is some good information and we might do this ep- this kind of episode again, some financial dictionary and go through some key terms, some buzzwords that you might hear when you're kind of following along on CNBC or any other uh, financial network or outlet and you hear some of these things and might, you know, not get an explanation for them. They assume that you know all these things pretty well, but uh, that's not always the case, and that's why Ben's here to help us out. But he he's obviously there to help you out with any of these kind of questions that you have, so reach out to him. And we do have a few questions we want to get to. Before we close out the show, maybe we got time for a couple, Ben, here. But let's see. The first one we have comes in from Everett. He says, is it a bad idea to do a Roth conversion if I have a high income? Mm, that, yeah, that's a good one. Um <sighs> In today's world, um, no, I don't. I don't think it is ever. Because again, I'm on the assumption that taxes are going up, and that's where again we're kind of guessing. Uh, I think it's a safe assumption, Ben. I don't think I'm I'm crazy by assuming taxes are going up. Um, but hmm. I, if taxes are going to go up, we want to start converting as soon as possible because your tax bracket's only going to get higher. And if we have too much money in that pre-tax bucket or that pre that, that qualified bucket. Every dollar we pull out of that's going to be taxable in the future. And if taxes are higher later than they are today, you're going to be paying a lot more in taxes down the road. But again, it's something that we have to really sit down to, to analyze before we just go ahead and start doing it. So please don't go start converting hmm. um, into a Roth right now. But it's something that we would we would definitely want to take a look at. Um, and we have the software in place to do that. But I don't think it's it's automatically uh, exclusion to say get out or you know you can't do it because you make too much money. Okay, good to know. Thanks for that question, Everett. Again, you can send us questions at bashrock-fg.com. Eliza writes, what's your opinion of investments that require you to keep your money locked up for a certain period of time? I know a lot of annuities operate that way as well as some hedge funds. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it depends if you are in that situation where you need um, that that type of investment, really. So uh, it's, uh, investing, it, there's give and takes with everything, um, Eliza. So, you know, what are they giving you for, for locking up your period of t- uh, for a certain period of time? So like with annuities specifically, they're going to give you a set rate of return or a set income stream. So you have to know that is the, the juice worth the squeeze, essentially? Are we getting something specific that we want out of this product to justify the fact that we're locking this thing up for 10 years? So um, if it makes sense for your plan, yeah, then, then we know it. But as long as you know in advance, um, what that period of time is, what you're getting on the back end of it. And if it fits into your plan, then you shouldn't be dissatisfied with that at all. So yeah, I mean, I think they could be definitely worth it if, if it makes sense in your plan specifically. Okay. If you want to get a deeper answer, Eliza, you can always contact Ben and his team at bashrock-fg.com, set up an appointment and, and really dive into that and look and see uh, if it makes sense for you. If you have any questions you want to send into the podcast, you can do it via the website or you can call Ben directly. Just ask him your questions. Get them answered uh, from the source directly at 330-473-1060. And again, we'll have a new episode every single week. So look forward to talking to you, Ben. It's our last one of uh, of 2020, man. It's hard to believe. Wow. Huh? It is. Hopefully 21 is better than 2020. So <laughs> I don't think it can get much worse. But yeah, <laughs> we'll see. Hopefully everyone has a good new year. We thank you for listening to the podcast here in 2020. And we'll look forward to talking to you in the new year. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through B.A. Schrock Wealth Management, Inc. and A.E. Wealth Management, LLC. B.A. Schrock Wealth Management and A.E. Wealth Management are not affiliated companies. B.A. Schrock Wealth Management is an independent financial services firm that helps people create retirement strategies using a variety of insurance and investment products. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of principal. Any references to safety, security, or guaranteed lifetime income generally refer to fixed insurance products, never securities or investment products. Insurance and annuity product guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. BA Schrock Wealth Management is not permitted to offer and no statement made during the show shall constitute tax or legal advice. You should talk to a qualified professional before making any decisions about your personal situation. We are not affiliated with the U.S. government or any government agency. This podcast is a paid placement. It is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be used as the sole basis for financial decisions, nor should it be construed as advice to designed to meet the particular needs of an individual situation.